um, I'm just going to pray for you, Lord. Thanks so much um, for um, Nadine and her comrades. And Lord, we just pray that you'd send a special blessing back to um, St. Mary's with them as they go. Uh, an extra portion of the joy of the Lord. And thank you so much, um, yeah, just for them coming here to um, be with us this evening. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, thank you. Good to see you all, guys. How's everyone doing? I'm just going to grab some water. Uh, my name is Jono, if I've not said hello, and uh, I have the joy and honour of continuing our series on looking at how we deal with disappointment, which is a pretty regular theme for, uh, I think, nearly all of us, it's fair to say. Um, so this week we're going to be taking a particular look at what the Bible has to say on dealing with disappointment. Not that we don't do that other weeks, but we tend to um, we look at a particular theme for a month at Sanctuary through a number of different angles. So uh, last week, Graham did a wonderful talk on the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Is that correct? I'm always nervous I'm going to get the order of those words wrong. Um, that was wonderful. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, Josh is going to be coming and sharing next week, looking at perhaps how disappointment has particularly impacted us kind of generationally. And then the week after that, Sarah Graham's wife is going to come and possibly the other way around. Sarah Graham's wife is going to come and share just her personal story about um, how she's dealt with some bits of disappointment in her life. So um, that's what's happening. whoop doop But this evening, we... Um, I'm going to start with uh, a particular quote, which I find super-duper powerful. Uh, and what I really believe God's going to do with us this evening is I think he wants to just um, do the opposite to this. So this says, The greatest tragedy in life is what dies inside a man while he lives. And uh, if you're thinking the same as I am when you read that, you'll be pleased to look at the next slide. The greatest tragedy in life is what dies inside a woman while she lives. That's uh, from Winnie Schweitzer. I made that up. I don't actually know if that's Albert's <laughs> wife's name, but I just thought it was important that we uh, <laughs> reiterated the fact that it's not just important what dies inside a man, but any human being. There we go. Good stuff. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> the point of that is, though, that... Um, Genuinely speaking, I think one of the most tragic things uh, I really believe from God's perspective is seeing what he has put in every single human being who he's made and um, seeing how that image and the hopes and dreams that he's put inside them can get torn away during the course of their life. And uh, I really hope that this evening, just through looking at some bits of scripture, God's going to really kind of uh, unpack kind of what we've just been seeing, how good a father God is uh, and how much, as we realise, just the extent to which he loves us, uh, the extent to which his grace um, covers every area of our lives, that uh, he can restore um, bits of our lives that we may feel have disappeared or things that haven't turned out the way that we hoped they would. So we're going to begin by just looking a little bit about kind of how disappointment can manifest itself, um, perhaps why it's there, where it comes from. And then we're just going to take a little bit of a more practical look at perhaps how disappointment really can have a hold in our lives and how we can get rid of that. So some of the kind of tools that could perhaps unlock some of that um, disappointment that can stay with us. But um, I'm afraid to tell you all that uh, you've not got me without uh, looking at a few pop lyrics this week. I'm a, I'm, I just have a weird obsession with um, 
lyrics and music. Yeah, thanks. Others do as well. Uh, it's just always fascinated me because I think so often um, lyrics can carry kind of uh, just something that resonates with so many of us because they, they pick up something that's true that we feel and that's why they're so powerful. So I, I always love to have a little look at some pop lyrics, but it's not hard for me to um, see this theme of disappointment in so many songs that um, we've heard over the years and uh, you could pick any number, but I've, I've just gone for two in particular. So I think, um, okay, if anyone, if anyone gets what I've done there, uh, I'm impressed. But that, that is a, a subtle reference to goldy-looking chains Wanda hit from a few years ago. Guns don't kill people, rappers do. Uh, and what I'm going to suggest this evening <laughs> is that one of the things that kills the life inside people is disappointment. And um, so we're just going to be thinking a bit about that, but the, the two songs that I think articulate what I'm talking about here quite well, um, the first one, I'm afraid I'm going to go to Freddie Mercury. I have been re-listening to uh, Queen Live at Wembley 1986 recently, and it is a phenomenal album. Uh, if anyone's not heard that, I highly recommend it. But the, that, that whole kind of gig begins with the song One Vision, and it articulates this sense of disappointment, I think, quite well, that so many of us can relate to. Um, the, the lyrics go, I had a dream when I was young, a dream of sweet illusion, a glimpse of hope and unity and visions of one sweet union. But a cold wind blows and a dark rain falls, and in my heart it shows, look what they've done to my dream. And um, just for so many of us, there's that innocence that we have as a child, where we just, we're so full of hope, we, we believe that we're here on the earth for a, like, we know we're here for a reason, we know we've got something to leave. And there can be that just erosion and bombardment that happens as we grow up, where we seem to get to this point at whatever age, I don't know, mid-twenties, whenever it is, different for each of us, where just so much of that hope that we had has, has just disappeared and gone. And um, one of the lyrics that I think sums that up wonderfully is, do any of you remember, I'm, I can be so out of touch with lyrics, do any of you remember Keen? The band Keen, great, okay. So... Um, Long time ago, when I was at university, this album came out, and I remember hearing the lyrics of this, and for me, it summed up this feeling beautifully. Um, it was the, the opening lines of the whole album. Um, I think the album was Under the Iron Sea, if that's of interest to anyone. And it said, um, it begins with, I always thought that I knew. Um, actually, so I think to give this a reference, for me, this is potentially, and I might be wrong, I think this could well be lead singer of Keen, who Noah, you look a little bit like. Is that a fair shout? We got a look alike? No, maybe. Is that? Can we do that? Is that, is that? Yeah, we've got him in the building. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so I wonder if this is him articulating his disappointment to God. Uh, and the journey that he's been on kind of through his life. But it, it says, I always thought I knew I'd have the right to be living in the kingdom of the good and true. But now I think I was wrong, and you've been laughing along, potentially God, and now I look a fool for thinking you were on my side. Sometimes it's hard to know where I stand, it's hard to know where I am. Maybe it's a puzzle I just don't understand. But sometimes I get the feeling that I'm stranded in the wrong time where love's just a lyric in a children's rhyme. Uh, which I think is just really powerful. Then it says, uh, these days after all the misery you made, is it any wonder that I feel afraid, that I feel betrayed? There's nothing left inside this old cathedral, potentially him, just the sad, lonely spires. How do you make it right? Um, and for me, that's just this really real picture of how so many of us feel about the hopes and dreams that we had as a child and where they've just ended up and the fact that we just feel super duper 
like betrayed on some levels. We don't understand, we don't know what's going on. We know that we need help, but we just don't know where to get it. And so often the place we go is it tarnishes our image of God. And just as we've been seeing this evening, like the core belief of Christianity perhaps, or what Jesus revealed was that we have like the most incredible father who is just 100% good. And that's perhaps the hardest thing for us to experience and maybe like realize when we're on earth because there's so much mess around us. But when Jesus came, he was just continually revealing how good his father was. And there's something for me of, if we're going to really look at what the Bible has to say on disappointment, we can't but um, miss this proverb, which says, hope deferred makes your heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Um, And I think God has put hopes, desires in every single one of us when he made us. But when we experience those desires being unfulfilled, that's where the mess begins. That's where we start to question things. That's where we don't know what to do with our desires. And um, for me, that's where Satan comes in in the Bible. That's where um, the Bible's really clear about a narrative of good, but also of evil. And um, if the devil is real, then I think what he seeks to do is to tarnish the image of God that's been placed in every single one of us. And that starts with the core of who we are. It starts with the hopes and desires inside us and the eternal longings that God's put in every single human being to be loved, to know that we're loved, um, to know that we have a purpose here, a plan here, and to know that we're a part of um, a family, um, that we've got perhaps a specific adventure and walk in life that only we can walk out with God. And um, Satan fears that greatly, so he's desperate just to um, bombard us with, with lies for us to experience loss of hope. And I think it's in that place that disappointment sets in and it crushes um, the potential that we carry. And that's why it's such a, for me, powerful thing for us to know how to deal with disappointment because it's the place that we return to the hope that God's put inside of us. The, um, Psalm 8, I think it's time for a sip of water. We're getting there. However much water I drink, my mouth just, it just, don't know where it goes. But um, I'll keep going. Okay, Psalm 8, thanks, Laura. Um, Psalm 8, 3 to 6 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. And again, just this idea that um, if we're made to bear God's image, if we're made to actually um, rule with him, not in a way that um, is kind of detrimental to others, but in a way that lifts others up, in a way that cares for creation, in a way that serves, then again, that, um, that tarnishing of the hope uh, inside of us is the thing that Satan's going to want to do. And really simply for me, Satan is out to destroy uh, there's a, again one of, one of the kind of verses when I was younger that perhaps most brought me into an understanding of who God is is uh, where Jesus says the thief comes only to steal, to kill and to destroy um, and then after that he says but I've come that you may have life in all its fullness and just as we think about why disappointment is there and where it comes from 
for me, it's really helpful to begin to think about specifically what it is that Satan, that Satan destroys in us through disappointment. Because I think if we know that and if we can see that, we can begin to work how to unpick those things where we've begun to um, see the effects of that in our own lives. And I think he really goes for our identity. So again, when we're singing, um, you're a good father, it's who you are, uh, and I'm loved by you, that's who I am. That for me is the single thing that God, that, sorry, that Satan goes for with disappointment, is he's trying to get us to believe the opposite to those things, um, that God can't be good. Why would these things happen to me if God was good? And he can't love me. He's not a good father. And it's that continual bombardment of those things that um, Satan is really trying to just get to our identity as we experience disappointment. And um, another really beautiful verse that Jesus kind of, um, Jesus says, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And it's this almost kind of haunting question, I think, that like, God knows the fact that we've been surrounded by so much stuff that causes us to question how good he is. But will he find a people who still completely believe that actually he is entirely good? And that for me is just like a wonderful, it's actually an encouragement. It's like, can we have that kind of faith when in spite of the circumstances around us, we know that God is good all of the time. And um, another thing that I think Satan goes for destroying is our ability to work together. I know that in my own life, so um, many of the places where I've suffered the greatest disappointment, my response has been to basically pull away from people, to protect myself um, so that some things wouldn't happen again. And that, I think, is just a really simple way that, um, that the devil wants to divide and conquer. He knows that the power of God comes when people come together because we carry different gifts and we carry different parts of the body. And if we're separated, then that just doesn't happen in the same way. And so often, the fruit of disappointment in my life has been individualism and isolation and pulling away from people. And I think, again, just as we think about how we deal with disappointment, that's a super helpful thing just to be aware of and to be asking God perhaps where are the areas in our life where we've begun to do that and what's God going to say to us to help to begin to change that. <laughs> Two glasses of water. Surely not possible. Um... And the final thing that I think he um, destroys, they're kind of intertwined, but I think just when humans rest in who they are, it's the first thing that we did after God created us, but so often disappointment, I think it causes us to panic and to fear, so we think we've got to work harder just to protect ourselves, and again, Satan's just trying to destroy that place of rest where we know who we are and we know that actually our identity is to be with God and to co-create with him, to, to essentially again, rule with him, like to be with him and to take care of the world around us. And we do that from a place of rest, not from a place of having to strive and work super hard. And I think, again, just disappointment, it can do that in us. It can, it can get us to, um, to panic almost. And so just being really honest about those things, I think, really, um, I find very helpful. But um, I'd love us just to delve a little bit into practically, like how does disappointment actually work? Um, where... Where does it come from? And like, well, we've kind of done where it comes from, but I guess when we have disappointment, what is it that's allowing that to stay with us? And I want to suggest that it's where we basically choose judgments or where we choose our own understanding fixed on a particular thing that disappointment has a window to stay in our lives and be really destructive. So, for instance, if you think about um, that verse... Uh, 
desire fulfilled is a tree of life. When we experience a loss of desire and when we have that kind of hope deferred, so often what we'll do is we'll, we'll fix our mind on a particular thing and it tends for me to be kind of the things like um, what should have happened, maybe when something should have happened, who it should have happened with, who we are, um, how things should have been. And you see, they're all, when you think about it, they're all like, they're static things that we decided should have happened and that we're basically saying, I'm disappointed and I will be disappointed until that thing happens or changes. And what we're doing there is we're taking these desires that God's put in us and instead of actually allowing him to fulfill them, we're basically holding him to ransom and saying, that desire is not going to be fulfilled until that thing happens and this is the terms on which I want it. And I think we all do that. Like, I know I do that so much, but it's like as the Holy Spirit comes, he exposes to us where we've been tricked in that way and he sets us free from holding on to those things that are robbing us of life. And for me, a verse, um, you've probably heard me say it before, but so helpfulness, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So every place that we lean on our own understanding, that's where I think we just give a doorway for Satan to come in and then start, like there's a, there's a way for us to be disappointed. Um, someone said this, we have concepts of God that are based on our disappointment not the word of God or the person of Jesus. So again, we have concepts of God that are based on our disappointment, not the word of God or the person of Jesus. So essentially, when we experience disappointment, when something's happened that we, we just know has not gone the way we thought it was, when we go to our own understanding, the two things that we nearly always want to do is either blame God or blame ourselves, because if you're like, well, if God's good, then good things happen, then we're left with this like, well, why hasn't this good thing happened? Why hasn't it happened? And it's so easy, I think, in our understanding to basically be like, okay, the reason must either be because God's not good, or because I'm a Muppet and I've blown it. And in that way, again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand it so that we can solve it, but I don't think that's what Jesus asked us to do. So I think for me what is really important is to try and have, I guess it sounds like a bit of a Christian cliche, but a kingdom perspective. So all I mean by that is um, a kingdom is just where what the king wants to happen happens. So if God has a kingdom, it's where what he wants to happen happens. And I think for us to understand what God's doing, we need to know that disappointment isn't the end of the story. It's not even necessarily a bad thing. So we have um, Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed, I'm reading this from the Amplified Bible. It says, blessed and enviably happy. Water break. Blessed and enviably happy with a happiness produced by the experience of God's favor and especially conditioned by the revelation of his matchless grace. It's quite wordy. Are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Said again, blessed and enviably happy with a happiness that's produced by the experience of God's favor and especially conditioned by the revelation of his matchless grace, which means his provision, 
of everything we need, are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, I was watching a little uh, talk in my research <laughs> on um, disappointment, and um, this is what uh, the main man, as many, no, this is what um, Bill Johnson had to say on it. He said, oh, sorry about that. He said, often when people come asking questions regarding disappointment, they're not really looking for an answer. By that, they're not really looking for an A, B, or C answer. An explanation, or something that they can understand as an answer. What they really want is something that will give them peace in the midst of the chaos. And the only real solution is the person of Jesus. Mourning is important as long as it doesn't take you into unbelief. Does that make sense? So when we have disappointments, it's not, it's not actually a bad thing. It's an opportunity, I think, for us to come deeper into who God is and for him to reveal part of his character that we haven't experienced yet. But that's what it looks like to not lean on our own understanding. But whenever we lean on our understanding, we leave with a whole load of ransom notes where we're saying, God, I'm not going to keep trusting you or following you until I understand everything that's happened. And there's this mystery of actually leaning into the things that we don't understand and letting Jesus take us that I think is, it, that's where we're blessed. And that's where I experience incredible freedom. Um, and there's some really kind of, um, sorry, I'm just wondering where to go. Um, there's some really practical advice, I think, for us in kind of how to do that, but I think we're just going gonna, gonna to look at that in just a second, just um, kind of park on that. But um, if we go back to Proverbs 3, thanks, Graham. So after Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, we then get Proverbs 3, verse 6, which says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And that, I think, is an incredible promise. So in, think of all of those places where we've got disappointment and where we tend to try and understand it ourselves. This verse promises that if we lean into Jesus and if we acknowledge him, then actually he'll make our path straight. And this is, for me, where I think the, the ways of God, perhaps the wisdom of God, are sometimes even better <laughs> than we understand but he might not always make up our straight in the way that we'd expect. And two verses that I think articulate this wonderfully is uh, something Jesus says in John 12. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And um, what I'd love to suggest is that any place that we've experienced disappointment, that can potentially become a seed that dies and then bears way more fruit. Um, and I think the kind of really practical situations where this can be is, for instance, we might have like a dream for our life that we think God's put there and we think it's going to work out in this, this, this way. And sometimes I think as we give our plans to God, that seed dies and it's in that place that it can come back to life and bear so much more fruit. And if you think that back to hope deferred makes the heart sick, 
but a desire fulfills the tree of life. It's like God's put these desires in us, but there's places where we haven't experienced them being fulfilled and where we, instead of holding on to them, give them back to God and let go, that's where I think we can suddenly see those desires being fulfilled and we step into the tree of life. Um, And 1 Corinthians 1 verse 36 says the same thing even more clearly. Paul doesn't uh, mess around. You fool! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that, I just think, it's just a wonderful, like, freeing verse. That actually the places where um, what's inside each of us feels like it's it's died, perhaps that's actually an opportunity for God to deal with some of those things and birth them back to life in, in the most incredible way. Where God does that, he won't just give back, like, a little bit of what we had before or make it quite good. He'll do it, like, way better. And um, I think that can often be the case that um, when we had a dream that was about us, for us as an individual, God might take that, do something with it, and then it becomes something that actually can look after and care for so many more people because he's brought us through a storm in it and he gives us a victory in it. Um, And so just as we finish up, um, we're going to finish now. The wonderful advice, I think, in kind of how to practically really begin to do this is just to be brutally honest with God about the places where we feel most hurt, but not to accuse him. So we say, like, I don't understand. I thought this was going to happen, and it feels like you're this, but I know that you're not really, uh, and I trust that you're actually going to come through here and reveal yourself to be more incredible than... I currently now understand. Um, And I think just um, if anyone wants to write a note, there's there's three really wonderful psalms that I think are an amazing place to go and do that. Uh, And what might be great is if just we're going to have some time to worship now and um, just to kind of reflect on some of this stuff. But um, give you those psalms. So it's Psalm 25, Psalm 27, and Psalm Psalm 37. And I'd really encourage you just to write those down and perhaps this week as you go home, just take some of those really raw disappointments to God and just really let to him speak to you through those psalms. And I think we're going to park it there. Um, Yeah, I'll just um, pray to close. God, thank you that um, when you turn up, everything that uh, has been stolen away gets restored and way more than was taken gets restored. Uh, It's part of who you are. You never lose. And Lord, I pray that uh, even this evening, parts of uh, our lives, things that have been stolen away, where there's real, real pain, God, I thank you that you you give us an an invitation for more of you in those places and Lord we pray that there'd be incredible victories um, where things have been stolen away not just that affect our own lives but that actually affects so many other people as a result Lord and we thank you for that thank you that that's your way of restoring um, justice restoring what was lost to people and you really do care Amen